0: I want to thank you for inviting me my life is richer for having met you all the way it is whenever we meet other people of God and um, I was sitting here you know watching our worship today in the last few days and it was so beautiful to me and I'm not a particularly sentimental or loving person so I was thinking how much more beautiful it must be to God and I and I wonder sometimes if it's women's retreats that are keeping his hand of wrath from coming down on this, <laughs> on this country. You know what I'm saying? You know? Um, yeah. The Holy yeah. Um I think it must be very beautiful. Yeah. And I, so I, I wouldn't ever underestimate the power of our prayer together to, um, you know, bring revival back to this country. Um. You're from the Tri-Cities, and I was thinking this morning, that works for me, because um, I think that God has given us sort of a tri-pronged way of abiding in Him, so I'm going to use that as a hook. I think it's prayer, and lots of it, and the Word of God, uh, and I'm not going to apologize for saying read as much of it as you can, because um, you know there's nothing legalistic or works righteousness about it. It's... it's It's our food and drink, you know. Um, And the third one is uh, obeying God's voice. I think those are the three ways we abide in Christ. You might think of some others that I haven't thought of, but those are the ones I hold on to. Um, I don't know if you've ever been in a hospital and had visitors. Uh, Now, let's assume that you want visitors. There are two kinds of visitors that come to a hospital. There's those who stay for ten minutes, and there's those who stay for a couple hours. And um, the ones who stay for 10 minutes, it's really good that they came. It was nice of them. Um, but, you know, they're looking at their watch, and they stay 10 minutes, and they got to go, you know. And that's fine. But, you know, have you ever noticed how much deeper your conversation is with the person who stayed for an hour and a half, right? You get into it, that's all. It's just a very different kind of conversation, a 10-minute conversation versus an hour and a half. And so that's what I think it is um, in our prayer life with God and in our reading of his word. There's nothing wrong with reading his word maybe ten minutes a day or a week. But I have to tell you that you get brought down into depths that you wouldn't have expected if you um, consecrate yourself to more than that. I wasn't sleeping well for five years. And... um, and at some point, about three years ago, I told the Lord I was going to read the Bible for an hour a day, and um, Psalm fifty says that you should keep your promises to the Lord, so there are then some days, but not very many after all, that i 've wished I never said that, but I have a certain amount of fear of the Lord, and so I read the Bible for an hour a day, and it 's not and and i wouldn 't want to go back now i can 't even believe that that I gave his Word such short shrift because it's revelation after revelation, you know. And my son, who's just the only one of my four kids who wants anything to do with the Lord, the Lord has touched him recently and i see him in the kitchen and I look up, it's 12 o'clock, I come back, it's 2 o'clock and he's still reading the Bible and he's taking these notes. So, you know, I'm just pleased that one of my children, you know, um, has been given that gift of enjoyment <coughs> of the Word of God. Um then I have a certain routine. I guess I, I, I have a certain structure or um, routine in my life. One of them is I go for a walk 2.7 miles every day. And so I pray when I'm walking. And I also wouldn't trade that for anything. You know, People know how it is, too, when you go for a walk. If you're a walker or an exerciser, if you go for a few days without doing it, you feel like a pent-up horse that needs to get out. Well, I feel that way, too, about my Time with the Lord. I jealously guard it. And I'm just saying, it's not not a law. But, you know, like Jesus said to Mary, uh, to Martha, you know, you leave her alone. She chose to do that. And that's good stuff, you know. Um, All right. There are habits. We have good habits and bad habits, you know. So, um, may as well cultivate a good habit. Now, I have a riddle for you. You're not going to figure it out, but I have a riddle anyway. Motel 6, Graterford Prison, Visiting Room, Produce Junction, and My Attic. The f- those are four things that have one thing in common. Oh, which one? does What's that?
1: Oh, wow, you're quick. Oh, right,
0: right, right. Yeah, what they happen to have in common is that those are the four places that I have wrestled the temptation to the ground and overcome it, and it was brutal. Now, I've been a Christian for about 35 years, and I can only point to about four times when I have done this. Um, you know, some people call it spiritual warfare. When I used to hear that phrase, I thought it was a very charismatic Pentecostalist thing. And, of course, it's straight out of Ephesians 6 and lots of other places in the Bible, in Revelation 2 and 3, where Jesus tells these seven churches, I need you to overcome this, you know, uh, so that you don't forfeit your reward. Well, I never knew that you could wrestle a temptation and actually overcome it. I'm talking about an 8.9 on the Richter scale, scale temptation. Because I don't think anybody ever told me, you know, I thought to myself, you know, and no one ever um, showed me how. You know, there's not many people who won't do something if you show them how, right? But no one ever told me how it was done or, or shared with me from anywhere, the pulpit or in conversation about a major temptation and how they overcame it. Until I, I met a couple people who finally did, and that's why I thought it might be possible. And I just want to tell you there is something that is possible. Um, before that, my, my usual practice was um, that, uh, that you pretty much have a temptation and more often than not you give in to it and then later on you might confess to God and ask him to forgive you. And I thought that was normal. I mean, I call that vicious circle Christianity, you know. Um, and I thought it was normal because, after all, it was buttressed by this theology that I'm a sinner God knows I'm a mess up. He doesn't expect very much of me after all. He's always willing to forgive me, which is true. And someday, you know, when he comes back, he'll clean me up in the blink of an eye. But I've come to see that that kind of idea I had is straight from the pit of hell. Who would stand to gain or who would be delighted by a theology like that, God or Satan? Who would be delighted by a theology that says, look, dear, you know you were born like this. You know just just uh, uh um, what just uh can't think of the word um, be content that this is what you are and and uh someday you'll be made perfect, but you don't need to try to uh do better now, you know um because God loves you just the way you are there's just enough truth in that. To make it appealing, but there's something very bad about that because everywhere God says there are verses that you know that says because we do we do what delights Him we do what pleases Him you know and Jesus says be perfect as I am perfect there God wants us to have that transformation that He talks about in 2 Corinthians 3:18 to become more and more like Christ but if we're saddled by this idea that I'm a sinner with a capital S, instead of a focus on the fact that you are a sinner, you are a new creation in Christ, and all things are possible, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If we get out of bed with the idea that we're already defeated and it's just a matter of, of confessing our preordained defeat, then that's not a good way to live. I have a friend... Who has this straight you know and she kathleen she gets up in the morning and she told me she says to the Lord hey Lord I abide in you you abide in me where are we going today that's a very different self-image than getting up in the morning and wondering how you're going to mess up today you know people like to point to first John chapter two verse one or something you know if we say we have not sinned we are liars or something if we confess our sins he's faithful and just but the beginning of that uh, passage is, I've written these things to you so that you may not sin. In other words, it's possible to overcome a temptation. But if you do sin while trying to honor the Lord, don't be destroyed by it, because we have an advocate with the Father. I think that's the right way to look at that, and I'm way off course. Um, did you ever... Now, we think that Jesus, um, you know, overcame temptation, but... But it was easy for him, because he was God, after all. But I have found in my own experience that the strength of a temptation is directly related to how long you wrestle with it without giving in. And I have lived most of my life giving in right at the gate, so that I never knew how strong a temptation could become. But there's something I don't know the name of it. I just thought of it this morning. You put your fingers in it and it you can stretch
1: okay. Right.
0: All right. you notice how it's got you as you're trying to get out of it right when you first have your fingers in it it doesn't seem like it's going to be that tight you only notice how tight it is and what a grip it has on you as you're trying to get out and I've noticed that it's like that with temptation if you fall for a temptation say to say something that you probably shouldn't say if you fall for it right away if you give in right away you'll never know the extent of Satan's arsenal because you gave in right away jesus didn't give in right away he fought it to the death and so he alone found out the full strength of a temptation but we can find that out too and it's brutal you know when we in each of these cases that I'm, they were memorable things and i don't have a very good memory because it started off as a little temptation i didn't even realize how big it was until i thought well maybe i shouldn't do that Satan doesn't have to throw his whole arsenal at you if he can just go, and you fall down, you know. Um, So, I find that um, when you are faced with a temptation, it's good to go into it prepared with a lot of the word of God because what you're going to be doing is you're going to be arguing against a desire. A desire a major desire to say something. And it'll even seem like a very innocuous, harmless thing to say or to do. Um, You'll have just a tiny reservation about it. And if you ignore that reservation and you just do it, you know, nobody will be the wiser. You know, you will have maybe sinned a little bit, but, you know, it's all right. Jesus paid for all those sins, right? So we have a cavalier idea about our sin. But if you stop and say to yourself, okay, well, is this really the best, the most loving thing I can do for this person to say this? Or is what I'm about to say, does it proceed from faith or does it proceed from fear of man? Or am I trying to get something out of this person that I should only be trying to get from God? Is that why I want to say this? Is this slightly manipulation? You know, once you start going down that road of trying to examine why you're, why you're about to write a certain letter to somebody... Um, you'll find that your desire was a lot stronger than you thought it was. And you'll need a lot of prayer to get out of it. And, and so, you know, I, I, I have sort of three, those three diagnostic questions that by this time I try to be armed with. Like, is this most glorifying to God, this letter I, I want to write? Is this, uh, is this most of love towards this person? And is this most of faith? I want to read you one last letter from inmate. I had a son in jail, prison. Um, and he, and I have an inmate friend who's in the mentally challenged or retarded unit of a prison in Texas. So this letter won't be as polished as the other ones. Um, he And he gives me permission to uh, share this letter with you. His name is Robert, but he likes to be called Bubba. He's 34-year-old. And... Um, He said to me, hey, you want me to write a letter to your son in prison? And I said, yeah, sure. So he wrote a letter to my son, but it didn't get there because prison-to-prison mail is not allowed in some places. So um, I said to him, sorry, Bubba, nice try, but they're not going to let it. So he writes back this letter to me. You can't give up. No weapon formed against you will prosper. And he wrote all these reasons why I shouldn't give up on that. So... I don't know what prompted me. I sat at the keyboard and I just decided to type out the letter he had written to my son. My essays for the magazine are supposed to be 700 words long, but no one can hit 700 words, right? Um, so they'll accept up to 740 or 680 on the short end. I typed it out and only at the end of it I hit the count button 700. Zero, zero. That never happened to me. So I thought, all right, well, maybe this is of the Lord. You know, always trying to discern whether the Spirit is prompting a certain direction, right? So I said, hmm, maybe if I send it to the magazine, you know, they can use it in place of my article. I'm not even going to ask them to put in a separate, you know, uh, slot. Just take my space. So I sent it to the magazine, and they took it. And um, so I got more response from that essay than anything I've ever written. And Bubba, you know, he had said to me one time in a letter, and he's my most frequent writer by far, he said, correspondent, he said to me, you know, I was asking the chaplain, how come God didn't make me smarter so God can use me, you know? But but more people read his letter, you know, over 100,000 people read what he wrote, you know? And were blessed. Okay, here's his letter. Hello, Jay. You have to, when you read Bubba's letters, you have to supply the punctuation because he doesn't do periods or commas. And so it's like reading hieroglyphics a little bit. So I go through the first reading. I just put the periods in and then I go through again and read it. You might be wondering who I am. Well, let's end the wondering, okay? My name is Robert, but people call me Bubba. I am 32 years old. That was a couple years ago. And been locked up since 1998, August 7. My dad and mom and son and grandparents all passed away since I've been locked up. The rest of my family don't want nothing to do with me because of what I've done in my past, and I'll share that with you one day if you like. So to start with, I do know what the dark alone feeling is like. I know what being screamed at by the boss is like, and here in Texas they scream. Jay, my past was so dark and heavy they locked me up 15 aggravated years. Don't sound like much. <coughs> But with a brand-new baby and 24 years old and losing everything, it is a life sentence. Here they don't pay for any labor. You work for free, and if not, you're locked up even tighter. But there is a big but in all this sad story. Jay, it is hard in prison, wondering if they're going to call your name at mail call, phone calls which we get every 90 days if we're good during those 90 days, money for food and toothpaste, able to go to the store during Christmas so you can have somewhat of a good spread. But Jay, I found something better than all of that. I found someone who loves me there on every call, listens to my sad, sad stories of how bad it is in here. This man brought me so much joy and peace. I have now a bigger family. He gave me another chance that we all need. Jay, let me tell you a little something, okay, if you don't mind, okay, Jay? I'm at a psych prison, crazy house, where you take medicine for voices, seeing things that others can't where people cut on themselves, and I was one of them. I've been like that for years. I came to prison and started on medicine, 1,200 milligrams a day. I was trying to get away from the angry feeling I had towards people and even myself. But now I am off it all because someone loved me enough to give me his life so I can be freed up in my mind where all the battle is. Boy, oh boy, what a battle it was. So he said these words to me, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You can hear him say it to yourself in John 14:27. Jay, I can cry to you in many tears to get you to understand. I never found true happiness, no, not in many drugs, drinks, sex, nothing could stay long enough. I always kept trying until I gave Christ my heart. Did it all happen in one day? No, no, no. It took reading and reading and plenty of times on my knees. We always think we should have the last word. No, every man will be judged according to what he has done with the Son of God in their life. I would love, Jay, to explain to you a lot more, not to judge you, but to show you great, great wonders of love and peace and so much joy. God's love is not just in word, but in plenty of experiences. you already been told plenty of times you are not good for nothing, never been nothing. You have not messed up your life to the point where God can't fix it, fix it. You're just where he needs you to open your eyes. Trust me, you won't ever come close to what I've done and been through. If you don't believe me, right? okay? Me and no one else. Okay? I'll be praying, all right? Loving Christ, Bubba. P.S. Jay, this Christ is not a religion. Religion stinks in God's nose. He just wants us as a child to come home. Okay. Uh, these are just parting shots, assorted, unrelated things I want to say before I left. One of them is for us to remember that we live in a spiritual universe. There's a lot going on that we don't see, that affects everything that happens to us. All the sufferings we're having that seem to be of no purpose, we will understand the purpose of someday, but not yet. And... um, Unless we're conscious of this fact that there's a supernatural dimension going on that's as real as the person on the other side of these walls uh, that we can't see, then we're at a disadvantage, not being able to understand what we're going through. When you're driving down the street, driving home from work, and you're thinking thoughts that are covetous, hateful, These are not just um, um, inconsequential thoughts. This is Satan having a field day with your mind. And we're not just meant to let those tapes keep going. We're supposed to put up a resistance to those tapes. That's not works righteousness. That's the full armor of God speaking against those tapes, speaking against those voices. Um, And sometimes I do it out loud because I feel like my voice has to have a fighting chance against the voices that are trying to get my soul. Um, Galatians 5.17, which I guess I'll bother to read, describes this battle, this tug of war of two forces. It says, the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit lusts against The spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, opposed to one another, so that you do not do the things you wish. There's two things going on at any given moment in your mind. Satan's trying to get your mind. And the spirit, we learn in James, yearns jealously over your mind. Um, Some of us have never been taught really to do spiritual warfare. But, um, apart from doing spiritual warfare, we're just sitting ducks. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, we are told, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to obedience to God. 2 Corinthians 10 verses 4 and 5. There's phrases here that I just read. Casting down arguments. I mean, you ever felt arguments telling you you're no good, your past is so bad that you can't really expect to have any joy in the future because you've so blown it. Um, just resign yourself to the fact, you know, casting down arguments like that. You know, there's a, there's a psalmist who said, for I, would have lost, "For I would have lost hope if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living." You have to believe that you're going to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. If you don't believe that, if you think it's all over for you, you know, you may as well just die now. But we have to believe that we will see the goodness of God. That's, that's what faith is, believing all those. You know, we, read, we sang a song about standing on the promises. Unless that's just meaningless words. That's, that's what standing on the promises is. Like not budging if Satan fills you with regret about your past. You say, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will. Get thee behind me. Um, and bringing every thought into captivity to obedience to Christ. That's not just flowery words. That calls for action, for proactive, um, you know, warfare against thoughts that are not helpful to you and not pleasing to God. Second thing I wanted to ask us to keep in mind that is that God is writing a big story. There's a mega story. You know, He's writing a story about how He is over- providing relationship with him again after sin messed up everything in the world but he's creating and weaving a story with each of your lives too individually the thing about stories is they have beginnings middles and ends and things look messy in the middle that makes a good story though i mean you might not think it's so fun but you know you know you will um you know, things look messy and you'll think that you don't have a snowball's chance in July of this story turning out well. You know, God will lead you, lead you into very ambiguous terrain where it doesn't look like he's even there. Those are the desert experiences where, you know, the book of Hebrews says, you know, if you hold on to faith in Christ, if you do not lose your first confidence, you know, these they're, they're just pleading, God and the angels are pleading, you know, for us to just hold on. Uh, to what we have heard from the beginning and to not lose heart. There's a place in scripture where it says that we are God's workmanship. The Greek word there is poema. You are God's poem. My daughter is a very good poet. And, you know, there's a lot of hard things sometimes in her poetry, but it's a beautiful thing, the product. And your life will be a beautiful product, too. You are God's poem. Um... I, um, why did I insert this here? I guess about to keep praying. I didn't sleep for five years, virtually didn't sleep. It was three or four hours a night. I felt psychotic. Okay? Um, and it wasn't cancer, so I couldn't even say, look, I've got this disease. I mean, it's just like, I was dead on my feet. And I prayed, you know, for five years, and I was still not sleeping. Finally, a friend of mine said, why don't you obey James 5, and go to the elders and ask for anointing and prayer. I even brought the oil myself. They anointed me with oil and prayed over me. And guess what? That night, I didn't sleep. Okay? <laughs> right? So, um, I didn't sleep for a couple weeks after that. And, you know, I told my friend who had sent me to the elders, I didn't sleep. It didn't work. And he prayed to the Lord, and he asked the Lord, you know, why didn't you... Uh, you know, she did, she obeyed you. Why didn't you honor her, Lord? And he told me, he said, I felt the Lord said immediately, I did honor her. She has treasure in heaven. And that gave me a whole other way of looking at it, that God was delighted even with the asking. And as it turns out, a couple months later, I started sleeping, and that was a year ago, and I've been sleeping well since then. There are certain things I wouldn't have learned if he had given me sleep instantly when I started asking, you know, six years ago or whatever, uh, I would have learned certain things about myself, like how long I'm willing to hang in there with the Lord before chucking the whole thing. You know, God sends us sufferings to test us, but unlike teachers, some sadistic teacher who might want to test you to see you fail, he's rooting for you to pass the test. It says point blank in Deuteronomy that, you know, the Lord tested Israel to know what was in their hearts. He, He already knows what's in your heart, but he wants you to know it. You know, so he sends you these little challenges, so that it will bring to the surface really how much faith, how, mu- how far you're willing to hang in there with the Lord. Okay, so uh, it's valuable information to learn that about yourself, and then to come to the point where you commit yourself to hanging in there with the Lord, no matter how things look at the moment. Um, anyway, so when I couldn't sleep a week or two later, I went to see this professor at the seminary. I mentioned him in, in, earlier. Um, Um, Talk because he's a man I have a lot of respect for. He's older. He's very godly. I can see he's different. Something about him. I can see see he has a... First of all, I don't know anyone who knows Scripture more than him, and he's just really filled with the Spirit. I went to his house, sat in his living room. I told him I didn't... I went to the elders. I'm still not sleeping. He told me a story I wouldn't have known about him if I had gotten healed right away. He said, well, I... I was going blind in one eye a few years ago, he said. And um, I read for a living. So um, I went to Will's Eye Hospital, which is famous which is for for doing eyes in Philadelphia, and they gave him some fancy diagnosis uh, and said that he was probably going to go blind, not only in that eye, but in the other eye. He went to the elders and asked them to anoint him with oil. They'd never done that before, but they did it. And... um, and within a week, he got his sight back. Now, you know, he went back to Will's Eye Hospital, and um, they looked at him, and when they looked in his eye, the same thing that they had saw that was causing the trouble was still there as far as they could see. So I um, can't explain it, but I'm not going to den- deny it. You know, that's that's what the man reported to me. Okay, the next thing I want to mention is extrapolation. <laughs> when we read the word of God I think it's good to extrapolate from what we read on the page to our own life Um, the man I told you about yesterday did that he read Hosea and he thought it had to do with him so he called his wife Um, Abraham the patriarch extrapolated when God told him to go and sacrifice his son and he meditated on the word of God, and he thought to himself, "Okay, wait a minute. The Lord told me I'm going to have a son, uh, and, and you know, to to inherit uh, this from. And um, and and now he's telling me to sacrifice this son. So that must mean that he's going to raise him from the dead. You know, we learn, I think, in Romans 4 that that's how he reasoned it. If God told me but I'm going to have an heir, and if now he's telling me to kill him, that must mean that he's going to raise him from the dead. That's the kind of, um, uh, you know, lively meditation on the Word of God that I think is very helpful. If we read the Word of God and try to creatively think of how that might apply to our own situations, whatever situation that we're in. Um, Okay, another thing, another little tip or suggestion. If I only had one tip to share, I think it would be this one, even though it seems like not the most important. To watch what comes out of our mouth. My mouth has been my undoing all my life. I didn't realize that words were so consequential, honestly. But even Psalm 34, is it? Yeah, verse 12 and 13 says, if you... um, Who who is the man who uh, who desires good and a a, a good life? Let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit. James is not whistling Dixie when he says that your words are like, like a ring in your nose or a rudder on a ship that leads you around. And every time that we speak words seemingly casual and very commonplace, words of doubt like, I don't know why the Lord does that but, but in a way that's spewing doubt or, or complaint even these things that we thought were innocuous and inconsequential what we do when we speak like that you know the unseen dimensions hear this and, um, and the people we speak to hear this and when we speak that way rather than saying I will believe in Christ. I know He has something for the situation. You know, uh, we put ourselves in agreement with Satan. You know, that's that's the way He feels about things. Um, when Satan, you know, Satan would have no power over us unless we gave him power. When he went into the Garden of Eden, he had no authority in that garden. He had to be handed the authority and he didn't have it so he just waited around talking until they handed it to him by agreeing with him about god so it's very interesting to me that that we can put ourselves under satan's authority you know the lord says you will be the servant of the one that you that is your master and if you make you can make satan your master in a sense even as a believer um you know and waste a lot of time that way um, and 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 uh, forfeit a lot of blessings what is it in Jonah? It says uh, the man who embraces idols will forfeit blessings. Something, something like that. Jonah two eight or nine. Um, so to watch what we say, it just think of the people that you've heard. Okay, I'm going to tell you a story now that's going to blow your mind. A few a couple months ago, I went to North Carolina and I met a couple there. The man came up to me about my age he had a folder in his hand he had eight copies of an essay he had written and he asked me to sign them he said I have a little bible study group on Friday night and we like this essay would you sign it so I signed it and then um, we ended up talking a little more there were a lot of people there so I didn't talk to that many people and he mentioned in the course of conversation uh, the accident where his six children were killed and I I thought I must have heard wrong, you know. So I didn't even say anything. I just let it pass. And later a woman came up to me, and it was his wife, very sweet woman. Um, And she, after a while, she said, Did my husband happen to mention the accident? And I said, Yes. He didn't give much detail. And she told me all about it. 17 years ago, they were in their van on a family vacation, there was a, a um, 18-wheeler in front of them with a piece of metal that was hanging off. Um, the metal fell off under the car, punctured the gas tank, and the car went up in flames. It was a ball of fire. She and her husband were in the front seat, so they got out. Uh, they survived. They, they had, she has burns, you can see, on her hands. and He has burns. And um, she told me that as they were watching the car, in in Inferno, he said to her the best thing he could have said at that moment. He said, Janet, it was very fast. And now... And now they're with the Lord. She had homeschooled these kids and she knew where they were at. And she told me she has very good memories with all these kids. The youngest one was two weeks old. Um, Then, that's not even the whole thing. Separate ambulances took them away. And when one was when they were walking him to one of the ambulances, he turns around and he says, Janet, Psalm thirty four. And she thought to herself, Are you kidding? You're gonna give me scripture but she knew Psalm thirty four by heart. When she got into the um ambulance as the E the the emergency people were working on her, she said she said, There I was. I was lying there, and I'm saying to the top of my voice, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. She said it all the way to the hospital. So, that, that's in this week's LMS magazine, by the way, because I wrote about it. And um, if you get the magazine, you can read more about the impact that had on my life. To see somebody believing God and and um, believing him to that extent just has to change your life you know it obliges you to make a decision am I am I going to trust God in any situation I think I believe that God gives special suffering to those who who are um, who are able to handle it she had told me actually that just not too long before that she told her husband I don't know what I do if you know, if the Lord ever took any of our children. You know. But he gave them the grace. That was 17 years ago. The result of that accident, by the way, was that the governor of Illinois went to prison because he was selling licenses for pay and funneling them into his campaign chest when he was attorney general or something. Okay. The power of praise. That's another thing I want to mention. I noticed something fascinating in Psalm 8, verse 2. Never noticed this before. It says, Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength. That's the only part I usually remember. But listen to the rest. Out of the mouths of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. The praise and worship, the audible expressions of worship of even the people of least account in society, you know, children, People, we we clap for their little recitals. There, there, there. That was cute. It's not cute for God. It's powerful. The praise of even children is powerful enough to silence the enemy and the avenger. We have no idea what goes on in the unseen dimensions when we choose to praise God in the midst of a great suffering. And I can tell you that God has blessed this Willis family, Janet and... uh, I can't think of the husband's name. The Willis's who told me that story. He has blessed them since that time. Um, the presence of God in your life is directly related to the practice of praise. I mean, I know you're a believer and he has you in his hands. But if you want to release the power that he's dying to to pour out on you, praise him, and he will release into your situation what you need for that situation. I mean, you, you might not feel that he's shown up, but he, But the minute that you speak a word of praise to him, he's already on it, you know. We read in, in Daniel chapter 9 that Daniel was praying to the Lord, and then he finds out in chapter 10 why his prayer wasn't answered right away, which should be also... Um, you know, edifying to us about why our prayers are not immediately answered. It turns out that his prayer wasn't answered right away because the angel Gabriel was busy. He was detained in Persia fighting the prince of Persia. You know, the principalities and powers that the Bible talks about are real, and evidently there was some prince, some demonic prince over Persia that Gabriel was tending to, and he says that's why it didn't show up right away. But he said, the second that you began to pray, the Lord was ready with answer. And even though we don't see it, the second we begin to pray and to praise God, things are not the same after that. God has heard that, and he will, and he has already, uh, poured out grace on that situation. And we are challenged to believe it. Like, you know, you can't pray to God and then walk away wondering if he heard you. You have to walk away saying, I believe that the Lord heard me. You know, Jesus said all things are possible to the one who believes. Um, Charles Finney, before he became a Christian, he was a lawyer, and he said he used to drop in on prayer meetings sometimes. But he said that the people really didn't seem to believe that they... He said, I could tell by the way they were praying that they really didn't expect God was going to answer the prayer. And he said at one point one of the people in church said, would you like us to pray for you, Mr. Finney? And he says, well, not really. I don't see that you really, you know, get any answers to your prayer. The irony of that, though, is that they were praying for revival and revival broke out there a few years later. Um, so, he, so I guess they did better than Finney thought they did. Um, <laughs> Psalm 22, verse 1. I'm almost done, but... Okay. Verse, verse 3... You are holy. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. I think that's what that means. For God to be enthroned on our praises, you know, we whenever we, we praise him, we, um, you know, his, his those praises release his power. He's in the mood, if you might say, if you want to say, to, to answer a, prayer, a praise like that. Because it's for his glory, you know. You've just spoken out in front of the principalities and powers. And so he's going to glorify himself by answering your prayer in the way most appropriate. So our praises create entry points for blessings. Um, another tip. Learn to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Pray for good friends who will strengthen you. Pray for friends who have more faith in you. I have a friend like that, at least one. And But your friends are not always around. So... Learn how to strengthen yourself in the Lord when you're like in drop-dead depression or something. Learn how to do it. Um, In 1 Samuel, chapter 23, verse 16. Jonathan, who was like this with David. He showed up to strengthen David. He came all the way from the palace to strengthen David in the Lord. And you know how he did it? He reminded him of the truth. Um, So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. Now how would he do that? What would he say? Well, it gives us a little hint. Jonathan said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. You know, there was a prophecy spoken over him. And Jonathan just reminded him, remember the prophecy. You know, in a sense, you're the most unkillable man on the planet. Because God's going to fulfill that prophecy. So don't worry about my father Saul. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. Um, but in First Samuel 30 verse 6 we find David alone he's on the lamb, on the run from Saul and uh, there's just been they've just come back he and his men and found that uh, their wives and their children were all stolen away and brought to another town and there's talk of mutiny against David they want to string him up and so David has no one. Jonathan's not there at this time because David's in the Philistine land. And this is what we read about what David did, how he handled the situation. Now David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. You know, Let's think about what that means. How did, how did this man do that? And is that something we can do too? Um, put the word of God over the word of man. Beware of theories and breezy sayings, especially your own theories about how things have to go, like, um, you know, teenagers always are dull, there's a theory, you know. Um, I, I remember my very earliest theory. When I was in high school, I thought I was convinced that the way to get a boy to like you was to be a little mean to him. It was it was a theory. I don't know where I picked it up, but it was it was hard to be disabused of that theory because once you have a theory that's that tight, all stray information that that comes at that theory has already been has already been um, is, is absorbed into the theory somehow without doing any without making a dent in it. Okay. So it took years to, to see that, that that's not true. And you have to place the word of God above theory. The word of God says that the way to have a good marriage is to love your husband. It doesn't say anything about manipulating him. You might think that manipulation works better, but the word of God says love works better in the long run. <laughs> so at every point, there are all kinds of uh, homespun theories about what works in life. So we have to be really focused and rigorous and check everything out like the Bereans in the word of God to see what he says about how to handle that situation. You know, don't let anybody say that marriage is impossible when God says all things are possible. And for shorthand, if you forget everything else, you know, that I said, one thing I really use a lot is when I feel either very depressed or that things impossible or there's no way this could work out there's a few verses that I just keep repeating to myself nothing is impossible with God Jeremiah 17. Uh gen in Genesis when um, God said that Sarah was going to have a baby and he said to, to Abraham is anything too hard for God you know that's a rhetorical question right we know the answer, but he gave he put it in a question form so we can think about it, you because know, you feel very silly saying, Well, yeah, my marriage is impossible for you, Lord, you know. Um, so I think if you can speak over any situation in your life, nothing is impossible with God. Jeremiah thirty two, seventeen. I think Luke two thirty eight two or something, or one thirty eight, 38, uh, says the same thing about uh, a baby, uh, oh, a virgin having a baby. If God can have a virgin have a baby You know, he can do anything. And that's about it. I just want to say again that all we have is this moment. I mean, we have a glorious future. But this present moment is the only place where you can please God. You know, because the past is frozen. And the future is always future. This present moment on the clock is all we have. And C.S. Lewis wrote a book about his wife who died, called uh, Grief Observed. And at one point, he says that he learned something very interesting about life, that no one ever has ever met cancer head-on. All he's ever met, or she's ever met, is moments. Okay? And he noticed that his wife, even when she had cancer, she had good days, she had bad days, she would laugh, she would cry, you know all you ever have is this moment you know even if you had cancer right now the Lord may come back in two weeks from now and we'll all be with him so we have to think in those terms of, of just believing God right now this minute for your particular situation and not projecting too much about the past and certainly not about the future and not living in the frozen past I'll just end with this uh, thought from Andrew Murray he said begin at once to demonstrate faith in him for the present moment. This is the only way to be kept for the next moment. Pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you that you have given us so much riches in your word, um, by which we may know you better. Uh, help us to love your word and meet us in prayer. Give us rich times with you in prayer. Help us to trust you every moment and to yield to your spirit and not to uh, desires that we know are not from you. And we will expect, Lord, that you will keep your promise to transform us gradually to become more and more like your son. To the praise of your glorious grace. Bless this church, Father, and all of these women. Pray in Jesus' name.